Welcome to the Celebrate Community Church of Yankton podcast. My name is Jeff Todd, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of this amazing church community here in Yankton, South Dakota. Our episode today is from our series, Unshakable, where we unpack the life of Daniel. Although his world was torn apart, Daniel lived an unshakable life and was a light in darkness. In this eight-week journey together, we will learn how you can live out the same unshakable life. God, I'm in the fire, and God, I'm feeling fine because I put my trust in you. I've seen enough of life's valleys. I've taken enough of life's punches to know that I don't have to doubt you. You're my ever-present comfort. You're the father who never leaves, and there's pain on the horizon, but my God, my Lord, my Savior, I can say, I'm feeling fine. I'm not scared of the uncertainty. I don't doubt you will deliver. I sell you short by not believing because my God, you're always there. I'm not scared. I'm in the fire faced with demons under pressure. You're my guide. You're my God, my one defender. And there's no room for doubt. When all I see is victory, Victory when I trust you. Victory when I believe in you. Victory when I depend on you. You redeemed me. You restored me. I'm still in the fire. My steps from here are crucial. But I know, I know what to do. I have no questions. I put my trust, my faith, my hope, my pain, my love in you. I'm in the fire and you're in it with me. And I... I'm feeling fine. God, I'm in the fire. And God, I'm feeling fine. Because I put my trust in you. I've seen enough of life's valleys. I've taken enough of life's punches to know that I don't have to doubt you. You're my ever-present comfort. You're the father who never leaves. And there's pain on the horizon, but my God, my Lord, my Savior, I can say I'm feeling fine. I'm not scared of the uncertainty. I don't doubt you will deliver. I sell you short by not believing, because my God, you're always there. I'm not scared. I'm in the fire, faced with demons, under pressure. You're my guide. You're my God, my one defender, and there's no room for doubt. When all I see is victory, victory when I trust you, victory when I believe in you, victory when I depend on you. You redeemed me, you restored me. I'm still in the fire. My steps from here are crucial, but I know, I know what to do. I have no questions. I put my trust, my faith, my hope, my pain, my love in you. I'm in the fire, and you're in it with me. And I, I'm feeling fine. One of the 
biggest hits of 1984 was the song by Glenn Fry called The Heat Is On. We're going to go way back to the 80s today, folks. All right. If you don't know Glenn Fry, he was one of the founding members of the band called The Eagles, one of my favorite bands with Don Henley and, and a great group. And as you might remember, back in the early 80s, the Eagles were kind of having some problems and kind of broken up. And so there was a movie called Beverly Hills Cop with Eddie Murphy. Anybody remember that movie? Yeah, there you go. The Heat Is On was on the soundtrack for Beverly Hills Cop. And as the story goes, Glenn Fry got to watch a pre-screening of that movie. He recorded the vocals for it in one day. The next day, he recorded the background and all the guitars. And here's the part. Glenn Fry actually did all of that for a flat fee of $15,000, which in that day was a little bit of money, but still kind of low. But here's the part that's interesting. He got no royalties for that song. He just signed a flat contract, $15,000, and that was it. And that would turn out to be a huge mistake because this song would go on to top the Billboard charts. Number two got all the way to number two and would become the highest chart-topping single of any Eagles former member of the band. So, wow, what a missed opportunity. And if you don't know the song, if you're not familiar with it, I'd like you to read the lyrics because it's, it's going to be important to what we're talking about today. The heat is on, on the street, inside your head, on every beat. And the beat's so loud and deep inside. The pressure's high just to stay alive. Because church, the heat is on. Now, I know most of you are just satisfied that I didn't actually sing that, right? Because I know that's been a problem before. We've talked about that. But why am I saying all that, church? Because in our world today, can we just be honest? The heat is on. We live in a world where the heat is turned on. Did you know that every 49 seconds in this country, a robbery happens? Every 27 seconds, a violent crime occurs. Every 20 seconds, a person is arrested for a felony drug violation. Every two seconds, a female is sexually assaulted in this country. Every 18 minutes, a baby will die before its first birthday. Every 30 minutes, 29 youth will attempt suicide, 59 will run away, and 15 will become teen moms. Now, I know what you're thinking. What an uplifting Mother's Day message for us to have. And I would contend actually it is. Because although the heat is on, church, we serve a God who wants us to turn up the heat in our lives and how we can do that. And we've been in a series called Unshakable. We've been going through the life of Daniel about how he's an unshakable man. And I said this before, and I'm going to continue to say this. This series is not really about Daniel. It's not really about a kingdom that existed thousands of years ago. This is a series about you and I. This is a series about our day right here, right now. Because again, the heat is on. But my God is a consuming fire. And he wants us to be that in our community. So if you haven't been with us, I'd encourage you to go to our website, yankton.church. You can go to our YouTube channel as well. We also have the podcast to go back and watch these messages in this series as we've been walking through the life of Daniel. But just to kind of catch you up in case you've missed it, previously on Unshakable, Daniel and his three friends were taken to this land of Babylon in exile. They made a decision that they were going to follow God's word and not what the society around them said. They made a stand and were brought into the king's service and became some of the most powerful people in the kingdom with the king. And last week, they were faced with an impossible situation where the king came to them and demanded to not only know the meaning of a dream, but he wanted them to actually tell him the dream at all. 
And God, through his power, through Daniel, was able to reveal the dream and the meaning. And that moment became a moment for the king where these young men became promoted to a very high position. And so today, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 3. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles there to Daniel chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love to get you one. Again, if you're watching online, there's a free app called YouVersion. You can go there right now and, and go to Daniel chapter 3. But Daniel chapter 3 is one of the most familiar passages in the Old Testament. In fact, if you were to do like a Mount Rushmore of Old Testament stories, okay, like, like the, your typical Sunday school, what are the top four? David and Goliath, right? Noah and the Ark. This one right here would be right up in there. Daniel's three friends and the fiery furnace. I would contend that most of you have probably heard this before or heard it mentioned before, but as throughout the series, we're going to look at it in a different way that maybe you haven't seen. And there's really two things before we get into the text. There's two things that I want to point out that's very interesting about Daniel chapter 3. One of them is, as you may remember, Daniel's three friends, and this will be up here on the screen, are named Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those were the three names of Daniel's friends from Daniel 1, Daniel 2, and they're here in Daniel 3. But here's the interesting thing. In Daniel chapter 3, they're not known by those Hebrew given names. In Daniel chapter 3, instead, they're known by three different names. And these names might be a little more familiar to you. Shadrach, Meshach, and anyone else? Abednego. See, we know those three names. Isn't it interesting how we know these three guys by their pagan Babylonian names, but we know Daniel by his Hebrew name. That's an interesting thing. And, and the second thing that's really interesting about this chapter is that Daniel is not mentioned in the entire chapter. Now, there's been a lot of scholars and there's a lot of commentaries on why that. We know most scholars agree, and I agree with them, that the book of Daniel was actually written by Daniel. So why would he not include himself? Not sure. There's a lot of reasons. But, but here's my point in saying those two things. And I don't want you to miss this about Daniel chapter 3. No matter how familiar you are or unfamiliar you are, I don't think that Daniel chapter 3 really has the focus on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I would contend that Daniel chapter 3, the main focus is on the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And, and we're going to unpack that because, again, last week, if you weren't here, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream. And this dream really, really bothered him. It, it, it messed with him so bad that he had this impossible task that he gave to these people. And Daniel gave the meaning of the dream. We'll talk about that in a second. But at the end of last week, if you remember... King Nebuchadnezzar had a moment. He had a moment of clarity. He had a moment with God where he saw God move. And, and he said, this is something that I want to pay attention to. And, and next week, we're going to take another step, and something else happens to King Nebuchadnezzar. But here's what I want to help you with What I'm saying this is because I believe, I've seen it a lot, where people will have a moment with God. I've seen a lot of people come to church give their life to Jesus Christ. They have, a, they have an emotional experience. They have a moment. This is what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. He had a moment where he was very clear about what God had said to him, and he started committing his life to God. But, but here's what I want to tell you. God doesn't want us to have a moment. God wants us to have a movement. God wants us to have a movement towards him. And although at the end of chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a moment, Daniel chapter 3, we're going to learn something about Nebuchadnezzar that he hadn't quite got it yet. <laughs> and that's why I would say a lot of people come to church and, and maybe have a moment and give their life to Christ. They've even come to this church, and there's a whole bunch of people that I have no idea where they're even at anymore. 
Because I believe they had a moment. I don't think they had a movement. And God wants us to have a movement, not a moment. That's why I would say Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 4 we'll talk about next week is more about Nebuchadnezzar than it is about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego. So Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high. That's 90 feet tall. 90 feet tall and 6 cubits wide. That's 9 feet wide. And set it up on the plain of Durin in the providence of Babylon. Now remember what I said just the previous chapter. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And I gave you a homework assignment. If you were here last week, hopefully you did your homework. I said, I want you to go back and I want you to read what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was. In case you didn't, I don't want to make anybody feel guilty, okay? In case you missed your homework assignment, here's what the dream was. Nebuchadnezzar saw a dream of a giant statue. And there was different sections of the statue. I won't go through all of it right now. But basically the head was Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And then the rest of the statue were the three kingdoms that were going to follow Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom after Nebuchadnezzar passed. And then the, the dream said that there was a rock, a little tiny rock that hit the statue, that crushed the statue. And this rock grew into a giant mound that covered the face of the earth. And of course that interpretation, spoiler alert, that rock was Jesus. He was the rock. And his kingdom was the kingdom of God that has now grown throughout the world. And Nebuchadnezzar had a vision of that, a very clear vision of not only his destiny, but all the kingdoms that would follow him. In fact, it, it just as an interesting point, this dream was actually so well interpreted, the next 500 years of human history are basically interpreted in this one dream. It's so clear, actually, that a lot of scholars think this must have been written after it happened because it was so accurate. But I would agree, most scholars agree, that this actually happened. Daniel, through Nebuchadnezzar's dream, was actually able to predict the next four kingdoms that would come all the way to Jesus and the kingdom of God. Now, why do I say all that? Because Nebuchadnezzar did something very interesting in verse 1, didn't he? He made a statue of gold 90 feet high. Why was that? Because he understood that statue in his dream was also about him. God told Nebuchadnezzar that. Don't miss this, church. God told Nebuchadnezzar about this dream not for his benefit. He told it about to benefit God's kingdom. But Nebuchadnezzar had a moment, right? He didn't have a movement. He had a moment. And he took that dream to think, well, this is about me. And so I'm going to do what a lot of us do sometimes. I'm going to make it all about me. And he's going to make this giant statue of gold. But then he takes it to another level in verse 4. Listen to what his command was. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. See, Nebuchadnezzar had a moment. He didn't have a movement. And he thought that this dream was all about him. And he was trying to secure his legacy. I'm going to make this great big statue, and you're going to all bow down and worship me. Now, we have a tendency when we read the Old Testament, or at least I do, we talk about these idols. And we think, wow, we would never do that. We don't have these statues that we worship. But, but let me just help you with that. Our world is full of idols. There's still so many idols. And so if you got your note sheet, I want you to take it out on the back side. It's blank. It's blank every week because I want you to be writing notes down on these things. I'm going to give you three 
facts about idols. Because we don't have these in our lives and we think about these differently. But here's the first one that I want to say and I've already gave it away. Our world is full of idols. Now, it might not be a 90-foot statue of gold, but there are so many things that are demanding our worship. Anything that is asking for your worship that's not God is an idol. Here might be a few of them. I think one of the things that we idolize in our culture is athletes. I know growing up, I loved Michael Jordan. I, I, he, was, he was an idol of mine. I wanted to be like Michael Jordan. When I played basketball, I had my tongue out because I wanted to be like Mike, right? I, I tried to take off from the free throw line and dunk it. I never got anywhere close, but it's because he was an idol. I looked up to him. How about actors in movies? How about musicians? I just get a little personal. How about pastors? Sometimes do we idolize pastors? How about our job? Do we worship our job? How about the, the wealth that we want to have? How about success? How about approval? See, all of these things are idols because all of these things demand worship and take us away from God. It might not be a 90-foot statue, but there are a lot of idols in the world. Here's the second thing you need to know about idols. We are tempted to make an idol of ourselves. See, Nebuchadnezzar made an idol, and it was supposed to be representative of him. And again, you might say, well, that's a pretty arrogant thing to do, but we do it all the time, don't we? We sing the praises of God one minute, and the next minute we try to be God. And when you really dig down and unpack the layers of that, what we're really trying to do, and I would say what Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do, he was trying to impress people. He wanted people to think that he was better than he actually was. He wanted the glory for himself. And, and if we're being honest, we all fall into that trap sometimes, don't we? And if you disagree with me, just take a scroll through your social media feed today and, and see, are, are we really putting things out there to try to impress people? Or, or are we trying to make an idol of ourselves? Are we seeing how many followers we get, how many likes we get? I always love it that I say, you know, I hope someday they make a social media platform that's called Honest Social Media. <laughs> you know, you always put the best stuff on social media, all the good stuff you see, and, and I want to see like a social media platform just honestly, right? Like, like here's my house, it's a complete disaster, and uh, I haven't done the dishes, and I had a fight with my husband, right? You don't see that kind of stuff on social media, do you, right? But that would be more honest. But the reason why is because we're tempted to make an idol of ourselves. We want to impress people, to think that we're better than we actually are. And I heard this said one time, and I agree with it. Anytime our reputation becomes more important than God's transformation, you're making an idol of yourself. I'll say that again, that's cool. Anytime our reputation becomes more important than God's transformation, you're making an idol of yourself. So church, there's idols all over the world. And our natural desire is to make ourselves an idol. But here's the third thing we need to know. When we make a choice to reject idols in this world, we will face the heat. When we reject the idols of the world, we will face the heat. If you pursue God with passion, if you reject the empty idols that the world has to offer, if you resist the temptation to glorify myself, you better be prepared to face the heat. Because church, that's not what the world teaches. That's not how the world responds. And, and when that happens, you will face the heat and the pressure. Why is that the case? And, and this is what I would just say. Because I think it's easier to justify my actions if I condemn yours. 
If I can condemn you and if I can tear you down, then I can justify my own self. See, most people need idols. Most people need the approval of others because they're empty and they have a void that just can't be filled. And we have a word for that. It's called jealousy. Jealousy is when we see things that they don't see and you want to tear them down. And I want to make myself feel better, so I'm going to tear you down because I need to be the idol in my life. And if you, again, reject the idols of the world and resist that temptation, you will face the heat from other people. And if I haven't driven home the point enough, just think about what happened to Jesus. And Jesus was perfect. If anybody on earth could have been made an idol, don't you think Jesus could have done? The guy was perfect. Yet he didn't do that. He humbled himself. The Bible said he humbled himself and became a servant. And how did the world respond to him? They rejected him. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. They went after him consistently. And isn't it interesting that the people who went after Jesus the most weren't the sinners and the pagans. It was the religious people. Why is that the case? Because they were made an idol of their own status. And if it happened to Jesus' church, it's going to happen to us. And it happened to these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Now, we learn a lot from this verse, and what we heard from this is there's probably a large group of people who were going to refuse to bow down to the statue. I, I would contend, and most scholars agree, I don't think it was just Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think there was a large group of Jewish people, but yet these guys were kind of singled out by this group of people who kind of had an agenda, didn't they? They knew what was going to happen, they wanted to set it up, and they wanted to do what? They wanted to justify why they were bowing down to an idol of gold. See, as long as everybody else is doing it, okay, no problem. Well, who are these people over here? They're not going to bow down. Why are they different? And I would say, I don't think they were making a stand for their king. I think they were making a stand for themselves. And they wanted to highlight this group that was different to help themselves feel better. And they go to Nebuchadnezzar. And they tell Nebuchadnezzar of this group of people that aren't going to bow down to his order. And in verse 12 it says, this is what they say to Nebuchadnezzar in verse 12. But there are some Jews who you have set over affairs in the providence of Babylon. And here's where they single them out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. I'm going to say it again. When you choose to reject the idols of this world, you will face the heat. These people were very strategic, they were very purposeful, and they named these three people to go after them for sure. And I'll say it again, this is not a series about a kingdom that happened thousands of years ago. This happens in our world today. If you refuse to bow down to the idols of this world, and you resist the temptation to make yourself an idol, you will face the heat. I shared this verse last week, but I think it's worth saying again. 1 Peter 4 12 and 13. Let's actually read this out loud together. It's going to be on the screen. Let's read this together. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you have participated in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Don't be shocked, church. When you make a stand for God and the heat comes on. So this people singled out these three guys. They went to the king. They told him what the plan was. How did Nebuchadnezzar respond? Remember what I just said in chapter 2? He had a moment. How does he respond to this? Verse 13. 
furious with rage. That's a powerful way to start. It tells you a lot about his heart right there. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And just to kind of summarize the conversation, the king said, Is it true? I've heard that. You guys are not going to do this. You're not going to bow down. Here's the thing, guys. You might have not heard me. You might not have understood. It might not have been clear. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you one more chance. We're, we're going to do this again, and you guys are going to have a chance to bow down and worship the statue. Because maybe you didn't understand what I was talking about. And then verse 15, he goes on to say, But if you don't worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Look at the focus there for Nebuchadnezzar. See, I'm God. And, and I'm telling you what to do, and you're going to do what I say. And if you don't, what God is bigger than me? Hear Nebuchadnezzar's heart right there? And these three men are put in the fire, and literally. And, and I'll say this again. Most of us probably have never been threatened with death for our faith. I don't think anyone in this room has. I know I haven't. But it can happen. These men, it's very clear. Listen, you are going to bow down and worship me, or there's your fate. This is what's going to happen. And they are put in the heat. Can we just say it again? The heat is on. So what do you do to withstand the heat? So get on your note sheet. I got three things for you. How can we withstand the heat? Let's write these down. Here's the first one. Trust God. When the heat is on, as you withstand it, we need to trust God. And you might want to write next to that, not man. Who are you trusting in? Are you trusting in God or are you trusting in man? You know, I heard this story. I thought it was great. The gas company called the owner of a brand new home. They had just built this house. And the gas company was calling to make an appointment to come so he could light the gas pilot light and adjust the thermostat. The owner of the home said something very interesting. It said it would be best if I met you at the house because you have no idea what you're doing. Now, the gas company guy got a little offended by that. He said, you got to be kidding me. We do this all the time. All we do is we come in, we light the pilot light, we adjust the thermostat, we get it all set up. The owner said, no, 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 no. You have no idea where the thermostat's at. To which the guy was a little offended. Again, he said, well, my goodness, we do this all the time. I just go in there, light the pilot light, and we find where uh, we adjust the thermostat. But the owner of the house was just adamant at this point. He said, listen, listen. You have no clue what you're talking about. I have to be there with you to help you out. Because the thermostat that's in the hallway is a fake. That's just built there for my wife to play with. Only I know where the real one is. <laughs> and all God's men said, no, don't say amen. You're going to get in trouble, right? Okay. Now, why do I tell you that? Only God knows where the real thermostat is. Human beings, we try and we think that we're in control. We think that we can do this stuff. Nebuchadnezzar right now, what did he just say? He said, I'm the one that's in charge. I'm telling you what to do. I'm going to show you what to do. It. But you know what? My God's in charge. He's the one that's got his hand on the thermostat. Warren Wiersbe says it this way. When God permits his children to go through a furnace, he keeps his hand on the thermostat. God is in control. Look at the words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Now I'm going to say this again. This lesson is not about the three in the furnace. It's got more to do with the king who thinks he's a god. What they're saying is, King Nebuchadnezzar, we serve a god, and guess what? You're not him. 
I don't care what you say. This is where it at. God said it. That's the end of the question. That's why I stand on the word of God. And we've got a culture today that's going to say this is right or this is wrong. I go back to God's word. I trust what God's word says, not the opinion of others, not what culture says. That's what we stand out. God said it, period, end of discussion. No more debate. This is the word of God. We are not going to do that, Nebuchadnezzar. You are not our God. And why do we struggle with that? Why is that such a hard thing for us to do? And I would say it again. I think it's because we care more about what other people say about us than what God has already said. We sang that song earlier. What does God say about me? And we need to believe that, not what the world says. It's not open to debate. We really trust what God says. You know, I had a struggle, and maybe you can relate to this too. When somebody says something about me or about our church that's not true, I get, I get really offended. I'm just going to let you know that. And I think you guys are probably with me. When you hear something, and it's like an outright lie, and you just know it, like, like I struggle with that. I'm just being honest. And, and one of the things that I always would like to do is, is I like to defend myself. And I like to come out, and I like to expose it, or I like to show, and you know, even if there's evidence that it's a lie, I like to really, really expose it and see it. Well, something that's been revealed in my heart lately is I don't do that anymore. And this is why, because I heard about this, and, and talking about what, what Chadrick, Meshach, and Abednego said, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Because you know why? It's a waste of time. And, and here's what I say about that. See, I don't need to convince the people who already love me, they already know it's a lie. When they hear something they know it's not true, I'm not going to convince them. They already got it. And the people that are lying, they're not going to change their mind. It's just a waste of my time. So why would I feel the need to try to defend myself? And that's what they're saying here. King, I don't need to come up here and give you my reasons. or I'm not doing that. I don't need to defend myself to you. And church, that's what we need to do too. Because we trust God. Here's the second thing that we can do. If we need to withstand the heat after we trust God, we need to believe in God's power. We need to believe in God's power. In 1859, Charles Blondie stretched a wire across Niagara Falls and walked on a tightrope while pushing a wheelbarrow across the falls, all right? Imagine this, Niagara Falls, right? He gets to the other side and the people are there applauding and screaming. Then he walked up to one man in the crowd and pointed at him and he said, do you believe what I just did? And the guy said, yeah, that's amazing. And Blondie looked at the guy and said, now get in the wheelbarrow. Guess what? <laughs> Changed the whole conversation, didn't it, right? Because he knew he was going to go back across the falls with the wheelbarrow, and he wanted the guy to be in the wheelbarrow. How many of you would do that? <laughs> right? Here's my point telling you this. If you truly believe in God's power, you better get in the wheelbarrow. If you really believe that God is powerful and he can do all things, you better get in the wheelbarrow. Look at verse 17. This is what they say. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your mighty hand. Friends, I believe the local church is the hope of the world. And as we talked about earlier throughout this message, the heat is on. And that's why I stand up here every Sunday and I do what I do. Because I believe in the power of God. I believe that by being here, being fellowshipping together, believing in God's word, worshiping him, loving each other the way Jesus loves, that is how we change the world. Belief without actions, friends, is dead. And do you know why these men could stand against the most powerful man in the world and say, we're not going to do that? Because they were in the wheelbarrow. 
They made the choice to get in the wheelbarrow and do that. It's exactly why Elaine and I did what we did. We sold our house in Sioux Falls, we quit our jobs, we came down here. That was us getting in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> it was saying, I truly believe in this. We had an opportunity yesterday, Elaine and I did, to go back to Sioux Falls. And I love it when I get these opportunities. We got a chance to speak to our developed group. So there's a group of people in Sioux Falls, the second Saturday of the month where they meet, and they're the group of people that are putting their hands up saying, we want to be church planners. We want to go out and we want to plant churches. And it was awesome to see and, and to be there. And I got a chance to speak to them and tell them about what's going on in Yankton and answer their questions. And it's so cool now to be a part of that room. But here's why I'm telling you this. The main point that I told these people is to say, that's what it comes down to. You got to put your faith where your mouth is. You got to step out and you got to believe God is not going to let you fail. God wants this to happen, church. Do you truly believe it? And if you do, then can I just say it? Sunday morning is not optional. If you really believe in the wheelbarrow, life groups are not optional. That's what we need to be a part of. We need to be in God's word every day. We need to be in fellowship. Why? Because we trust what God says. Do we trust God with our finances? Then we need to get in the wheelbarrow and believe him to do that. So we trust God. We believe in him. Here's the third one. How do we withstand the heat? We stand firm no matter what. We stand firm no matter what. Circumstance is the greatest enemy of our faith. I think a lot of times we spend more time looking around than we do looking up. See, these young men didn't fear death. They understood what they were called to do. And do you know why they were able to do that? Because they knew that their God was saving them. They knew that their God was the God above all gods. And they were going to stand firm no matter what. And then... They said the coolest verse. I love verse 18. It's one of my favorite verses in all scripture. This is what they said to King Nebuchadnezzar. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. But even if he doesn't. Last week, we talked about, but there's a God in heaven. Those seven words I taught you. Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, I can't interpret your dream. I don't have the power, and honestly, no magician or enchanter can do it. But there's a God in heaven, and that God in heaven can do it. That God is powerful. He is the revealer of all things. He is that God in heaven. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego take it a step further. They remind King Nebuchadnezzar that God is still in heaven. There is that still God in heaven. But we want you to know, King Nebuchadnezzar, he has the power to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow if he chooses to let us burn, I want to let you know, we are not going to bow to your idol. Church, that's what it means to stand firm, no matter what it takes. And look at what happens in verse 19. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. The language in that verse is so important. He said he was furious. Remember, we talked about that in the beginning. He was already mad at him. Wait, as soon as he heard they were going to defy him, they were already mad at him. But in this verse, it says his attitude toward them changed. The language means his face literally got distorted. And this is what I would contend is the same thing we talked about. It's not their decision to not bow down to the idol that made him that furious. It was because of his understanding that they weren't going to fall for him. They knew that they weren't hit, that they served a God that was bigger than that. 
And if you go back, if you pursue God with a passion, if you reject the empty idols of this world, if you resist the temptation to glorify myself, you better be prepared to face the heat. And these people, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are experiencing right now is Nebuchadnezzar's own insecurity. It's not just the fact that they weren't going to bow down. It's that they knew they didn't need to. Think about how insecure this guy must be. He just built an idol that was 90 feet tall in his honor, right? That's a pretty insecure guy. And the simple fact that he found out that these guys weren't going to do it made him mad. But when they stood right there and he gave them the clear order, this is what you need to do, and they said, we don't feel the need to do that. And in fact, you can go ahead and kill us, and it won't even matter. We're still not going to do it. I would contend that hit something in a nerve deep in Nebuchadnezzar's heart. It revealed in him an insecurity that really needed to be exposed. And I would go back to what I said before. Nebuchadnezzar had a moment, but he didn't have a movement. And this is where it exposed that it was just a moment that he had. And look at verse 22. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Church, when we reject the idols of this world, when we face, resist the temptation to make ourselves an idol, we will face the heat. And, and I want to pause right here in verse 23. If you know the rest of the story, you know how it ends. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at that point, they didn't know the rest of the story. When they fell into that furnace, they thought their life was over. They thought they were goners. And, and, and I want to tell you something very important. They were okay with that. Because they trusted and they believed in their God. Harold Kushner wrote a book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And he recounts a story of R.C. Sproul. And Pastor Sproul was having a conversation that I would say as a pastor I have at least once a month. I'm not exaggerating. People will come up to you and ask this question. And I'm just going to say this. It's a very good question. And when I heard Pastor Spool's response to this person's question, I said, I'm going to use that now. Because <laughs> I get asked this question a lot. And this is the question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Pastor, why do bad things happen to good people? And I want to tell you what Pastor Sproul responded to. I think it's so important. He said, I don't know. He said, I've never met a good person. <laughs> think about that statement for a second. I've never met a good person. Do you know that you and I are born into sin? Do you know that on our best day, we still deserve God's hell and wrath? But yet God and his love for us, his great love for us, didn't want to leave us in that condition. He loved us so much, he sent Jesus Christ down on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so we could have that love and that grace and that truth. And this is what Pastor Sproul said, and I think this is so important. When was the last time you stood and looked at the cross and wondered what happened to him? Now, now what happened to me, again, it's not our circumstances. It's look at Jesus and say, what happened to him? Because can I help you with something? Jesus was a good person. He was the best. He didn't do anything wrong to deserve that. And yet he, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning at shame because of me and because of my glory. See, I don't know. Friends, I'm just going to say this again, and I love you with all my heart. And I hope you hear this. You're going to go through the fire. It's going to happen. And when you take a stand for Jesus Christ, it's going to get hotter. 
And I wish that weren't the case. I wish I could take it away. I wish as a loving parent, I could remove you from the hurt and the pain of this world and you wouldn't have to experience it. But can I just tell you, church, sometimes the fire still happens and it still burns. Sometimes people still die. Sometimes marriages still end. Sometimes jobs still go away. Sometimes houses burn down. I don't know why that happens, but you know what? Even if my God doesn't save, I'm still not going to bow down to those idols. I'm not going to bow down to the idol of fear. I'm not going to bow down to the idol of doubt. I'm not going to bow down to the idol of this world. I just want to let you know, even if it do he doesn't choose to save you, I'm still not going to bow to that. God, we need to trust God. We need to believe in his power. We need to get in the wheelbarrow. And we need to stand firm no matter what. And verse 18, it's going to be on the screen. I want us to read this out loud, church. And you're saying this to the king as defiantly as you can, so I want to hear you. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have made. There are some things in your life, can I just say it, that God needs to burn away. And we need to trust him. And in that moment, the king had a moment, but he needed to have a movement, and that was to him. Verse 24. King Nebuchadnezzar, remember, these guys are in the fire. It's over. It's done with. King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look. I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of God. E. Stanley Jones said this, God will not let you go where he cannot come. And if you're in a fire right now, I hope this gives you blunt. Jesus is right there with you. And I'll just take it a step further. There's not a fire that you're going to go through that Jesus hasn't already gone through. You know what my Bible says? We serve a high priest who's been tempted in every way possible. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be physically abused. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by a friend. My God knows what it's like to lose a child. My God knows what it's like to lose a friend. Do you know that Jesus stood outside of Lazarus' tomb knowing he was going to raise him from the dead like five minutes later and he still cried? Do you know why? Because we serve a God that knows what you're going through. He's been through the fire with you as well. But he has a desire. His desire is that you would trust him. You would believe in him and you would stand firm no matter what because the world needs to know that there's a God in heaven that has the power to do those things. Verse 27. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not even scorched and there was no spell of fire on them. Now, I just want to pause here for a second. There's a lot of people that have a problem with that verse. And a lot of people who have a problem with God's word will look at that particular verse and go, really? Really? These guys were bound. They're thrown in this fire. The king had said it's hotter than seven times. And they come out and nothing was scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. Really? Did that really happen? Now, if you're feeling that way, that's okay. I love you. I'm glad that you're here. Okay? But I, I want to help you with something. I don't have a problem with verse 27. It doesn't bother me. Because I'm going to go back to what I've been saying the whole message. It's got nothing to do with those three. It's got everything to do with who? King Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. And verse 28, that's what I think is the true miracle of the story. If you think the true miracle was God saving these guys from the fiery furnace, I'm going to change your mind on that. Verse 28, this is what happens. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar, listen to the words of this pagan king, the guy who built a 90-foot golden statue. He says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him. They defied the king's command, and they were willing to give up their lives rather than service or worship of any god except their own. Here's the real miracle of Daniel chapter 3, and I don't want you to miss this, church. Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan king who had overtaken this country, the most powerful man in the world, would then issue a decree that there is no other god besides the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And for the first time in human history, outside of the nation of Israel, an entire kingdom established the god of the universe as their god. That's the real miracle of Daniel chapter 3. These four Jewish boys who were taken from their home, who were tried to be indoctrinated with all this culture and all this pagan world, made a stand, and they said, King, we're not going to bow. And, and my God has the power to save you. You remember that same God, the one that showed you the dream? Okay, He can do that, but I want you to know, King, even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. Why do I say that? Every single person in this room has somebody in their life that they would say, that person's never going to come to know Jesus. They're too far gone. They're, they're, so, they're so far out of the way, there's no way that's ever going to happen. And, and I would just argue with you and say, I bet they're not as far as Nebuchadnezzar was. And, and, and he had a moment here that would become a movement. And, and we're going to talk more about this next week. So this is a plug for next week. Come back next week because we're going to talk about this more in chapter 4. But, but here's what I want to say to us in this church just to bring it back home. When we look around our culture, we look around our world, and we say, they're far from God, can it ever be changed? Can this country ever be turned back to God? I need everybody to look right here. Yes. I believe my God can do that. It breaks my heart when I hear God's people speak ill about our current president. It breaks my heart. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you do that, you need to repent. You need to change that. Because here's what I want you to know. I don't know where Joe Biden's at spiritually, but I'll tell you what. If he were to stand up and say, there's no other God besides the God in heaven, do you think that would make a difference in our world? I bet it would. And you might say, well, that'll never happen. Look what Nebuchadnezzar can do. Why do you think I get up here every Sunday and I preach God's word? Because I believe it's the power that can change any life. I believe it can change our community. I can believe it can change our schools. I believe it can change our country. I believe it can change our world. And it happened before, and I believe it can happen again. I don't care how far gone you think our world is. My God is bigger, and my God can do it. But even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to bow down. I'm still going to stand up here every Sunday, and I'm going to preach God's word. You can clap for that. That's okay. <laughs> I'm still going to stand up here every Sunday and I'm going to preach God's word. I'm still going to love people that might hurt me. I, I'm, still going to, I'm still going to give to our community in ways we can because I believe my God can make those changes. And I'm not going to bow down to the idols of this world. And I'm not going to create an idol for myself either. I'm going to trust God and believe him. Church, I want to ask you, are you ready to do that too? Are you ready to trust in God, not in man? Do you believe God's power? Can you get in the wheelbarrow? Will you stand firm no matter what? Again, I don't know what fire you're facing right now, but my God can do it. But even if he doesn't, I want you to know we're still not going to bow because our world needs to change. Let's pray.
this is always so difficult of a moment because I'm going to put this microphone down, I'm going to go sit down, and then i got to live out what you just shared through me. <laughs> That's the hard part. Because if I'm being honest, I really care what people think about me. I really want to be liked. I really want to be loved. I think that's a natural desire that we all have. But sometimes, God, you've called us to take a stand. And you've called us to say, listen, this isn't okay. And, and I love you, but this isn't okay. And I, I need to stand up for the truth. And God, I pray in those moments you would give us the courage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to trust in you and not the opinions of man. God, I pray that every person in this church would know your word, would know your truth, so when the fake stuff comes up, we can identify it right away, and we can point it out. God, I believe in your power. Like I said, Elaine and I came to this community. We got in that wheelbarrow. We went across the high line. But, but I'm just wondering if there's another wheelbarrow in my life that you're asking me to get into right now. Because it's one thing to stand up here and preach something. It's another thing to get out there and live it. And God, I want to be a church that says, let's go. Let's get in that wheelbarrow. And if there's something in anyone's life right now where they say, you know what? I need to get in that wheelbarrow. I need to take that step of faith. I need to really put my money where my spiritual mouth is and believe in what you can do. And God, I pray that we would stand firm no matter what. Can I? We know, God, we understand it's a promise in your scripture. The fire's going to come. God, there's going to be times when you don't heal the cancer. God, there's going to be times when you don't heal the marriage. There's going to be times when that womb stays empty. But God, in those moments, we just pray that, that we won't bow to our fear. God, we won't bow to revenge. God, we won't bow to jealousy. Because, God, you want us to have a movement towards you, not a moment. And God, I pray for our country. And God, I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to specifically pray for our president, for all the members of Congress, for all our judiciary and our judges. And God, I'm going to ask for your forgiveness on behalf of your people for any time that we have spoke ill in a negative way, that you would forgive us. Because God, what you promise in your word is that when my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will heal. It starts right here with me. And God, no matter how far gone we think our world might be or our country might be, you can do great things, just like you did through Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. But you need your people to trust you. You need your people to believe in your power and to stand firm no matter what. God, let me pastor that church. Let me be that servant of you. And we ask all these things in the matchless name. Of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you live in the Yankton area, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at 310 Walnut Street. Or you can join us live online from our website, yankton.church, or our YouTube channel, Celebrate Yankton. If you'd like to grow more in your faith, check out one of our life groups that meet throughout the week. For a list of days and times, please visit our website, yankton.church. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and share with others.